Morning, everybody. Can you guys hear me? Jesus, we just continue. I want to continue Ryan's prayer and Steve's prayer. And I just invite you, Lord, to come and stir in us. Intellect alone will do very little to change us, Lord. Could you come and speak to our hearts? Amen. Last week, we, we started a sermon last week. We're not on a series. We're on a sermon. We started a sermon last week called uh, Partnership and Fasting. And we're just, well, this isn't even part two of that. It's not even a series. It's just the same sermon, actually. But I figured you guys would fall asleep if we went past our usual two hours preaching time limit. And so um, I, I, we, this is just how it happened. We talked about fasting last week. Raise your hand if you love fasting. Okay, we got a couple. I love it. I love it. I think if I was honest, I, I don't know that I could raise my hand. I, I love the results of fasting. I like the things that I see it do in my life. And I, uh, boy, I've seen some really cool things. But fasting itself is tough. And so I think a lot of people uh, just say they have a problem with it. And I, last week we, we uh, kind of talked about three different excuses that people sometimes have when it comes to fasting. And so if you want to hear that, you'll have to go back and listen online to that. But today I want to address one more. I want to really hone in on one more. But let me ask, in recap of last week, what, as you are considering a fast to give up food and maybe along with food, uh, maybe there's a few other things you want to give up so that you don't go binging on video games or electronics or reading the news or whatever, Facebook or Instagram or whatever, it, what's the most important thing to eat when you're fasting? The bread of life, the Word of God. And that's what we talked about last week. It's very, fasting is more about eating than it is about not eating. And so if that doesn't make sense, you should go back and listen to last week. This week, I want to say this. I want to speak to this particular thought that some of us have, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I think you will probably know right away if, this, if you ever thought this. As we talk about fasting in the church and we encourage fasting, are we just trying to be religious, super spiritual? Are we trying to manipulate God? Does that ever bug you when people, when Christians encourage fasting and you think, why? And, and it irritates you because you see them as though they're encouraging you to manipulate God as though that were possible. Does that ever bug you? Can we manipulate God? You can, everyone can answer. Can we manipulate God? No, of course not. Because God is sovereign. Amen? Amen. Amen. And if God is sovereign, why would you bother fasting? 
if he's, if, right, it almost becomes like, what, well, hold on, we just, what? If he's sovereign and he's going to do it anyways, uh, then why do I bother fasting? Humility. Humility is important, and that's, there's, there's actually a number of reasons, and I want to explain a truth today, or tr- attempt to explain a truth that is not always easy to land on, I want to talk about this concept of partnership with the Lord. What does that mean? How do we have a chance to participate with, together with the Lord? Is it us who works? Is it God who works? How, what's the concept of that in Scripture? And, and to start, about, start that, I'm just going to use this, this rope, and uh, it's a very short rope. Nothing bad can happen with it. It's too short. And so, uh, uh, but I want to read some scripture and understand this. There's this principle in scripture that is really clear. We have some responsibility, and yet God is sovereign. Let's just read a couple of scriptures. You'll get where I'm going. Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed. And so if we just hold, if we were thinking that when we talk about obedience, who, who, who is obeying? Us or God? We, we are obeying. We are obeying God. And so if, if this was the concept of partnership, well, if we're obeying, we're, we would just hold the rope like this. Because clearly it's us that needs to do the obeying. There you go. But then as we keep reading, it says, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling. Who is working out our salvation with fear and trembling? It's us, right? And so we hold this, the rope of this concept in Scripture, the concept of partnership, if you want to call it that. It's all, it's all us. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Except if you read the rest of the verse, it says, "For it, but it is, what's that? God who works in you. And so it's actually God who is doing the work. But if you just understand the whole verse at the same time, you actually have to hold the rope like this. Does that make sense? When you come to attention in Scripture, it has to remain attention. Otherwise, you get into all kinds of squirrely, weird theology. Does it make sense? When there's tensions in Scripture, this is how you have to hold the rope. Let's read another Scripture. So, we, this is all about us, right? We, it is we who tell others about Christ, warning everybody, teaching everyone with all the wisdom. Oh, man. And if, you, if it's God who gives us the wisdom, then you've got to hold the rope on that side. We want to present them to God, perfect in their relationship to Christ. And so that's why I work and struggle so hard. Paul says he is working and he is struggling so hard. That, if you just pick that out, it sounds exactly like he is responsible for everything in his Christian walk. And yet, the very next words say, depending on Christ's power that works, so mightily, that, uh, that works within me. And so when you read that in, in, all together in one sentence, how do you have to hold the rope? You've got to hold it like this. Does that make sense? This is the concept of partnership in Scripture. Let's read another uh, passage. His divine power, read, read the yellow with me. His divine power 
has given us everything that we need for a godly life. So if we were just going to park on that sentence, we would hold the rope like this. Are you with me? God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. Amen? That's what Scripture says. It's a true statement. You guys are with me? So you've got to hold the rope like this. And then we'll keep on reading. Through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So before we read the next verse, remember, His divine power has given us how much? Everything we need to live a godly life. Look at the next verse. For this very reason. What reason? For the reason that God has given you everything that you need to live a godly life. What's the words? Make every effort. What? Oh, whoops, we've got to hold the rope like this. Right? Make every effort to add to your faith. And he starts listing off characteristics of a godly life that we have to make every effort to attain. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. Who gives us everything that we need to live a godly life? God does. Are we still responsible to make every effort to add to our faith all these things in increasing measure? So that we'll be, we will not be ineffective. That we'll, we, we will not be in, unproductive. Yes. And so how do you have to hold the rope? You have to hold it like this. Both of those are true. God is sovereign, and yet we have a responsibility to engage with Him. That concept is important to understand. That you have to hold the rope like this. That being said, is our partnership with God like a 50-50 partnership? Let's be real. It's not 50-50. God actually gives us everything. And yet we have responsibility. God and me, God and you, God and us, we are not equal partners, as it were, as though we brought just as much to the table as God does. Seriously. But God in His sovereignty has designed us to operate in a way that we get to partner with Him inside of His will. Inside of His sovereign will, we have an opportunity to partner with Him. Exactly right. Praise the Lord. This ought to make us go, who is this God that would be willing to have me operate with Him? Wow! God has designed our relationship with Him in that He will not do our role. And we cannot do His. 
And it's not as though he needs us, but he, in his sovereignty, chooses to use people. Isn't that amazing? We get to do things in his will, like pray. We get to see miracles happen in his name. They don't come from us. But obedient people have faith and meditate on His Word and ruminate on His Word and read His Word and pray and, and surrender and submit. Practicing spiritual gifts and even including fasting. If you were going to remember one scripture that speaks well of this tension, I love Isaiah 26 verse 12. Anybody know it by heart? The first part is easy. Lord, you established peace for us. And so clearly the Lord has established peace for them. He has, he has done all the work, right? And then Isaiah says this. Everything that we have accomplished, you've done for us. So Isaiah goes, everything you, we have accomplished, you've done for us. And how can you say that in one sentence? You have to hold the rope like this. You guys with me? How does this relate to fasting? I want to tell you one story in the Old Testament that I think illustrates this really well. And it starts with a prophecy written by Jeremiah. Here's a really interesting prophecy. Read with me. Jeremiah 25, 11. And if you have a Bible with you today, please put your thumb in uh, Jeremiah 25 or even Jeremiah 29. Okay, this is how Jeremiah 25 reads. The whole country will become a desolate wasteland, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70, 70 years. Jeremiah is prophesying either just before or just as the Israelite people are being taken out of their homeland, they're being taken captive by the Babylonians, and Jeremiah is prophesying that that captivity is going to last 70 years. Not 69, not 71, 70. Is that interesting? you think it would have taken some faith for Jeremiah to prophesy that? I think so. I think it's a pretty specific prophecy. Keep your thumb there on that page and let's keep on reading. In Jeremiah 29. This is what the Lord says when... You guys read the yellow. This is what the Lord says when... Seventy years are completed for Babylon. I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Jeremiah is speaking this promise from the Lord. He says, you guys are going to go, you're going to become captives. But it's only going to last 70 years. And then I, the Lord, I'm going to come back to bring you over here, back home. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. In verse 12, he says, Then you will call on me and come and pray to me 
and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and bring you back. You guys can read the yellow with me. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places I have banished you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you, I will bring you, or declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Have you guys ever heard any of those verses before? Is there one verse in particular which you've heard quite often? A couple of nodding heads. <laughs> That's good. There's powerful verses in there. I'm always curious how people respond to those verses. But we're just going to keep on this story. So Jeremiah makes this prophecy. Keep your thumb in those, uh, on those pages because I want to come back to those words. And I want you to remember those words. But that's, but that's not the only place in Scripture where this story is talked about. And so the Israelites are taken into captivity. They're taken over to Babylon. And 2 Chronicles 36 talks about this story, kind of consolidating it kind of quickly. And it says, The land enjoyed its Sabbath rests. All the time of its desolation it rested until the... Seventy years were completed in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill uh, the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation through his realm and also to put it into writing. And then if you read the next verses, you would recognize that he... he Cyrus, the king of Persia, allows and he puts it into writing into a law that says if you Israelites want to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild your temple, go and do it. And it happened exactly after 70 years. If you're reading on, in a paper, like some of you are using an app on your phone to quickly find Second Chronicles. Here's the cool thing. They have books now where you can see it on a piece of paper. And, and if you're looking at it in one of those books, you'll recognize that on exactly the same page, the next book shows up on the same page, and it's the book of Ezra. And in Ezra chapter 1, look at what it says. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation through his realm and also to put it into writing. And it says almost exactly the same thing, except it even adds to it that not only did the king say you guys can go back to Jerusalem, he said some of our people ought to be giving you money so that you have money to go and do it. So when we think about this concept of partnership, what's happening with this prophecy? Who's doing the work? God is doing the work. That rope is like this. The Lord is moving in the heart of the king, which is encouraging. Amen? Amen.
Let me ask you some questions. Who came up with the idea that the captivity of the Israelites would only last 70 years? God did. Okay? Who spoke it? Huh. Isn't that cool how God uses people? Who is obviously working in the heart of the king? God is doing the work. So would you agree that it is God's will for the captivity of his people to last 70 years? Yeah, that's his will. He, he said, this is what's going to happen. So here's the question. If you were in captivity, if you were one of those Israelites, and you're in captivity, and you are an Israelite person, but you're in Babylon, and you know you belong out there, and you also know that there's this prophecy that says it's only going to last 70 years. And we're getting on year 68 and 69, and then, hey, Happy New Year, it's year 70. What do you do? Do you praise the Lord? Do you sit there and wait? Lord, hello, you said this is, we're going, why are we not going? Or do you take matters into your own hands? We just read the prophecy. If you read Jeremiah 29, 11, what do you do if you wanted to do it the North American way? Ooh. Come on, Lord, hit me with your blessings. <laughs> we got verse 11 memorized. What about verse 12 and 13? What should we do? What did, how did Jesus tell us to pray when he told his uh, disciples how to pray in Matthew verse six, uh, chapter 6? Yeah, we're supposed to pray his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Interesting. Do you guys know any of the names of the, some of the Israelites that were captive in Babylon? Name some of the most famous ones. Daniel. Of course. Daniel is one of the... We know him well. How old, approximately how old was he when they went into captivity? I'm hearing some numbers, 13, 17-ish. I don't know. He was a young man. So you guys are probably right. He's a young man, and here's something interesting. God is clearly working in the heart of Cyrus. It is absolutely clear in Scripture that God is doing this. And yet there's something happening in the, there's a, like a backstory to this story. Because the story is also referred to in the book of Daniel. And he is right there with these Israelite people in Babylon. Look at what he does in, in Daniel chapter 9. This is how it reads. In the first year of his reign... I, Daniel, understood from the Scriptures, according to the word of the the Lord given to who? Jeremiah. He's reading the same Scriptures. He's reading Jeremiah 25, 11. He's reading Jeremiah 29. The word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. And so Daniel is... 
looks at his watch and he goes, it is 70 years. Or maybe he had a calendar or however he knew it was 70 years, but he's going, the time's up. And so I, what do you think he did? How do you think... How do you think Daniel responded when he realized this prophecy that Jeremiah wrote is actually the time is now? And he just finished reading Jeremiah 29. We just read those same words. If it was all Daniel, if the, if the rope was being held like this and it was all Daniel, what do you think, what do you think somebody would do if it was all human? Start a revolt. Get some friends together, sign a petition, go on strike, get out your markers and papers and hold them up and we're going back to Jerusalem. Okay, but what about if it was all God? Then what would happen? Then what would Daniel do? Nothing. It's all, it's all God. Why, why bother doing anything? God's working in the heart of King Cyrus. And yet, how do you, how do you hold these tensions in Scripture? You hold them like this. And so let's keep on reading. And so Daniel says, So I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in in prayer and petition. He didn't petition the king. He petitioned the Lord. Amen? In fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. So I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed what is going on. Daniel starts confessing, and his prayer is recorded in Daniel chapter 9. If you haven't read that prayer, you should. Daniel's a little over 80 years old because he's been in captivity for 70 years, and he was a young man when he got there. What do you know about Daniel? Is he like, from what we know in Scripture, is he like one of these backslider guys that has a lot of problems with the Lord, or is he kind of a righteous kind of guy? He's the righteous kind of guy, okay? Those are very non... Those are simple words. But that's who Daniel... That's who we know Daniel is. And you know what he prays? He starts confessing sin. That is a fascinating piece of Scripture. He knows that those 70 years are up. And he starts fasting. He starts praying. He starts pleading with the Lord. He knows it's the Lord's will for them to go back to Israel. But he doesn't sit there idly. He starts begging and pleading with the Lord. Lord, let it be. And if you read his prayer, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he starts, he starts coming before the Lord and says, Lord, we have sinned. What? I'm going to just say this is probably the most righteous man in all of Israel. This is the guy who stood at his window or kneeled at his window three times a day regardless if he was going to get thrown into the lion's den or not. And what does he confess? Lord, we have sinned. We have been rebellious. We have been unfaithful. We are full of shame. We have been disobedient. We have refused to obey you. That is why you've brought this disaster on us for 70 years, and we deserve it because we've been disobedient on purpose. That's his prayer. I'm paraphrasing it, but if you read that, that's how he prays. And then I'll pick it up in verse 18 of the same chapter, and he says, Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. 
talking about Jerusalem. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen and forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Can you understand? Can you feel some of the pleading and the prayer that's coming out of Daniel's mouth? And yet he knows it's the Lord's will for that captivity to be over. But he's captured the Lord's heart and he is pleading with the Lord. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then verse 20, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and making my request to the Lord, my God, for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel. Who is Gabriel? Have you heard that guy's name before? That's the same. What do you guys know about Gabriel? It's Jesus' angel? It's a good answer because G- Gabriel is the angel who met Mary and who met Zechariah. And he also met Daniel. Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. In verse 22, he says, He instructed and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, and he goes on to give him a vision, and he gives him understanding, he gives him a revelation. Daniel has this amazing, powerful encounter with the Lord. In this case, through the angel Gabriel. When did the word go out? Or when did God speak a specific word for Daniel? When he started praying. That's pretty cool. Was Daniel somehow manipulating God? Of course not. God is sovereign. He's already designed it to be 70 years, but when Daniel understood God's heart in what God's will was, he started pleading and fasting and sackcloth and ashes, and he did everything to come to the Lord and submit to Him and surrender and and pray His will into being. And in the moment He began to pray, there was an effect in the spiritual world. It's easy to see in this story. Do you think that it's a coincidence that Daniel will have read these words out of Jeremiah 29? He will have read that when you call on me and come and pray to me, I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Daniel knew that. He just read it out of the book of Jeremiah. And he's like, Lord, I'm coming to you with all of my heart. I want to seek you with everything that I have. And when he knew that and understood that, then he goes to fasting and he goes to prayer and pleading and petition to the Lord. I think we would do well to understand this concept that we today have an opportunity to partner with the Lord in a similar sense as Daniel partnered with the Lord. 
We're not trying to manipulate God. We're not trying to twist His arm, as it were. But He gives us, God, the Creator of the universe, gives us an opportunity, and He actually lays it out in Scripture. This is how you can do it. You can come to me, and when you come to me, I'll listen. That's what the sovereign God says. When you come to me, I'm going to hear from heaven. I'm going to heal your land when you come to me in prayer. When you come to me with everything you have, when you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. He allows himself to be found when people seek him with all of their hearts. That's what the sovereign God says. I think we would do well to not overlook the opportunity that we have to participate in that kind of a partnership with the Lord. You guys with me? I'm just simply going to pray, declaring to the Lord that we desire to see Him glorified, desire for His name to be honored, not ours. We want to take Him up on this opportunity that we have to partner with Him, even if that includes fasting and giving up of ourselves to petition Him even if it's something that we know is His will, like the salvation of our friends and family. and his, or, We know that it's His will for to, for, for to heal broken marriages, to set people free from the bondage of sin. We know those things are His will, and He gives us the opportunity to partner with Him on those. Let us not be people who take that for granted. Jesus... We desire for your name to be high and lifted up. We don't want to trick ourselves into some kind of religious talking that only is a way of uh, being looking, making ourselves look good to the next Christian or something. Lord, we desire to come to you just like you said, Lord. Jesus, you said that when we fast, we should put oil on our heads and wash our hair and wash our face, Lord, so that people wouldn't know that we're fasting. But you love it when we do, Jesus. You love it when we pray. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you love it when we seek you with all of our hearts. And you promise that you will be found. I thank you, Jesus, that you are this most amazing, sovereign God who allows us to partner with you in this regard. Help us to not give up on that opportunity. Help us to not overlook that, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Amen.